Thank you for joining us on our podcast for Faith Center Church. We hope today's message builds you up and brings you hope right where you're at. Hope you enjoyed the message. I tell you what, I want to just open this segment in prayer this morning because I really feel like God is, is giving me something for you guys that if used, I mean, I can preach it all day long, but you've got to put it into action. If used, if used can, can be a game changer in your life. It can be a game changer. So, Father, I pray that you open the ears right now of our spirits that we may hear and our minds that we may hear, or that we take it in. We put everything aside for the next 35 minutes, Lord. And we just listen to what your word has to say in Jesus' name. All of God's people said. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 3, if you would, beginning with verse 5. <clears throat> Open up your tablets or your iPhones or your biblical pages of your Bible and go there with me, 1 Kings 3. I want to talk to you this morning about dream killers. Dream killers. You know, I, was, I refereed yesterday the Roth in the uh, Stringtown games, girls and boys, and, they, and, and the boys and girls both won. They played really, really well. And I realized as I was blowing that whistle, not everyone agreed with everything that I did. <laughs> not everyone agreed with all my calls. <clears throat> Some people even told me about it. <laughs> Got a little verbal with me. But you know what? I just let it slide. And I've realized that preaching is kind of the same way as refereeing. <laughs> Sometimes you don't like everything I say. I get that. Just don't yell at me from the pulpit. I would appreciate I mean, from the audience, I'd appreciate that, though. If you could refrain, I'd appreciate it. It's amazing what $5 paying at the gate thinks you're entitled to. We can yell and say what we want to. We paid our $5. Oh, goodness. 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask. Everybody say, ask. Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child, remember that. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing, everybody say this thing, and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall, there, nor shall any like you arise after you. 
I want to start off this sermon today with asking you a question. Here it is. Write this down. What do you want? Think about that. What do you want? It's a question that most people sitting here watching online and in the world today, most people can't answer that today. And it's an essential question that you need to have an answer for in your life. See, many believers deal with a degree of apprehension and even anxiety when it comes to answering that question. And I think the apprehension is associated with them worrying and wondering whether or not what they want aligns with God's will. And although in some cases I think this may be a noble and appropriate desire, it also at times can be rooted in misinformation. Because here's my argument, church. You can't, get this, you can't submit to, God's, to God about His will until you know yours. You can't give up your will if you don't know what you want. Let me give you a powerful picture of this. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be beaten, persecuted, punished, wrongfully convicted, sentenced to Roman capital punishment, death on a cross. And he says in the Garden of Eden, what? Father, if it is possible, remove this cup from me. But, watch this, then he says, nevertheless not my, but your be done. Here's what, here's what I want you to see here. He's articulating what he wanted. He was aware of his own wishes because you can't submit to God's will if you don't know what you want. And some of us are scared to answer the question, and so we don't allow ourselves to embrace what we're feeling. Because we feel like it's sacrilegious and it's selfish and God has no interest in what you desperately and deeply desire. And that's just not true. Now, when people operate this way, here's what happens. Anxiety comes into their life. And it inhibits them from actually taking action. They become so concerned and consumed with making the wrong decision that they what? Make no decision. Not realizing that no decision is a decision. And so catch this. Indecisiveness, indecisiveness is assassinating their dreams. Your indecisiveness may be assassinating your dreams. It's a dream killer. There are some dreams that never come to pass because people were not courageous enough and clear enough just to simply take action. And I believe I'm talking to some people today who may be suffering from analysis paralysis. And I'm telling you at some point, you've got to make a decision. You keep analyzing this and analyzing that and analyzing this. You've got to make a decision. If you're going to write a book, and God's put it on your heart to write a book, at some point, you've got to set yourself down in front of a computer and begin to write. Take the legal pad out and begin to write. If you're going to start that business that's been in your heart for so long, at some point you've got to get your paperwork together, get legal, get licensed, and start that business. If you're going to fix the marriage, come on, at some point you're going to have to say, let's sit down and let's start working on this thing. 
Indecisiveness is killing your dreams. And I'm telling you this, that's not going to be me and I believe that's not going to be you because I'm sick and tired of allowing my fear of making wrong decisions cause me to not make any decisions at all. It's time to stop that, church. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but my Bible says, and I think yours does too, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Okay, now watch this. So the text says the steps are ordered by the Lord. But it did not say, I would be aware of the ordering. It means this, that God can be ordering your steps and you not even know your steps are being ordered. But, but watch what it says. He delights in his ways, though he falls, he's not utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Which, mean, which means this, if God's not ordering my steps, I might make a misstep. It says, though he falls, he will not utterly be cast down, which means my misstep will not ruin my mission or my ministry. You've got to hear that. You've got a lot of people dealing with, dealing with guilt and shame because of missteps. But it will not ruin your mission or your ministry. God says, I'm not going to let the pain paralyze you. I'm not going to let the fall be fatal or final for you. Because I'm the God that even when you step out of the boat and you begin to sink, I still meet you halfway. You need to step out today. That's what God would have me tell you. It's time to step out. At some point, church, you've got to step out. You've been talking about it. You've been thinking about it. Now, guess what? It's time to do it. But the enemy is using your indecisiveness to paralyze your ability. God's given you ability. But here's the thing. You can't execute on that ability if you're arrested by indecisiveness. And he's using that to kill your dreams. But here's what I believe. I believe that God is stirring. God is reviving. God is awakening dreams within you right now. I believe that. Because some of you have had some dreams... And you just, eh, not going to happen. And you just squandered them. And you pushed them down. But I believe this is a day of reviving. This is a day of reawakening. But at some point, you have to decide what you're going to do. Because that's one thing that God won't do for you. God created something within us, church, called Valacious. Which is V-O-L-A-T-I-O-U-S. Valacious. And that means simply free will. Now, the reason, the reason God gives free will is because God created us humans for the purpose of a love relationship with Him. Stay with me. I want to explain this to you. Before there is real love, (coughs) excuse me, there has to be a choice. Because you can't say that you love me if you don't choose me. This is why ladies celebrate and get giddy with excitement when they get proposed to. Because to them, that proposal says, you chose me. Because why? Love requires a choice. So if I didn't have a choice to love God, that would not be relationship, that would be slavery. 
So God says, since I want you to love me back, I'm going to give you this thing called free will. I'm going to give you this thing, I'm going to give you this ability to choose me. Since the Garden of Eden, he's been giving us, church, a choice. He's encouraged us to make the right choice. He's instructed us on how to make the right choice. He's empowered us to make the right choice. But he says, this is the one thing that I can't do for you. I can't make it for you. You've got to choose. God says, I can give you the dream. I can give you the talent. But you've got to start it. You've got to start doing it. I believe, and I said this before, but I believe the reason people struggle with indecisiveness in religious context is because we've received a lot of misinformation. And this is what I believe the Bible teaches. Sometimes God is at work in your wants. The Bible teaches us this. God is at work at your, in your wants. Here's the thing. If you always dismiss your wants, think about this. You could be unintentionally dismissing what God wants for you. Because he's at work in your wants. And I'll prove it to you. Look at Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God goes to work to create the will and desire in you. What? To do. He says, I want to give you the want to and the ability to. So what am I saying? I'm saying that God is saying some of your want to's God gave you. God placed in you. You know, I want to, I want to help people, I want to do this. That's something that God has given you. How many remember the Old Testament? There's a story... <clears throat> about a woman named Hannah. Hannah's unable to have children. A person comes before her, but her husband was married to another woman. Watch this. This was a social norm, okay? But it was never divinely endorsed. Hear that. It was back then, the social norm, but never divinely endorsed. It's what we call an ecodemic theological circle. Meaning this, it's descriptive by the word, but it's not prescribed by God from the word. Have you ever thought, how's that fool got that many wives? And God's still using him. Because God's describing the situation, but he didn't prescribe that situation. Ain't no man in the right man want more than one wife. All the men said amen to that, dear Lord. So it's described in the Bible, but not prescribed by God. Meaning some people see that and they try to use this as an excuse to escape monogamy. They said Abraham had multiple wives, David had multiple wives. But when you look at it, it's described in Scripture, not prescribed by God from Scripture. The Bible prescribed in the New Testament as you shall be the husband of one wife. That's what is prescribed according to the Bible, okay? But when you look at described in the Bible, it never turned out great for any of those guys. It's bad for Abraham, terrible for Solomon, terrible for Jacob. So I just want to kind of understand that because I was like, okay, God, why is this this way? I've been a Christian for 42 years now, so explain this to me. 
he said two words, prescribed and described. And it so opened up my eyes. I hope it opened up yours. So her husband is married to this other woman that could have children, okay? Hannah wants to, but she can't. And the other woman her husband is with can. So Hannah prays to God. The Bible says she goes into the temple and she is so demonstrative in her prayer time that the priest in the temple comes and rebukes her and says, how dare you come up here all cranked up on crown roll? I think that's what it said. Maybe it's drunk. I don't know. But you know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. And she says to him, I'm not drunk. I'm just desperate. The Bible says she goes home and miraculously conceives. And she tells God, if you give me a baby, I promise I'll give that baby back to you. And the boy that she gave birth to was named Samuel. Samuel became one of the most influential spiritual, spiritual characters in the Old Testament. God trusted him to pick Israel's first king. God trusted him to go to Jesse's house and find David to replace him. But Samuel would not have existed here this church if Hannah hadn't decided, I want what I want. I did not give up on that baby. I want what I want. Hannah wanted a baby, but God needed a judge. So some of the things you want here in this church are what God needs. And the devil wants you to stop wanting it. I say that again. Some of the things you want are what God needs, and the devil wants you to stop wanting it. Somebody needs to be set free today because of your feeling guilty about some of the things that you want. And I'm telling you right now, that desire you have may be a desire that God put in you. Don't discredit that desire. God's will is His business. If it's not, then God, He'll stop it. If it's not God's will, He'll stop it. If it's not His will, He'll let me know. But I'm not going to sit here and be indecisive. And you, you don't either. God is working through your wants, church. But, Pastor, are you telling me God's going to give me everything that I want? No, but I'm telling you, some of the things, stuff you want, God gave you the want to for. That's what I'm telling you. You may say, well, I don't know the difference between what I want and what God wants. That's when you pray this prayer right here. God, I want all that you have for me. And nothing more. And nothing less. I want all that you want from me. And let him work the wants out. Let him work it out. Indecisiveness will kill the dream. Indecisiveness will kill the wants. Remember in our opening text of 1 King, you find a good example. We find a good example of this. Solomon had just experienced promotion. He succeeds his father David as king of Israel. The Bible says he's not really at the best spiritual place in his life at this time. Solomon had this thing for exotic women, foreign women. The Bible calls them strange. We'll leave it at that. 1 Kings 3.1 says, Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Pharaoh, remember this, is polytheistic. Monotheistic is one, one God, okay? So she grew up in a polytheistic, multiple God house. This was a relationship that was not prescribed by God. 
This is being described because it doesn't work out well for him here. Verse, verse 2. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Now, when the Bible says high places, it's not talking about literally. It's talking about altars that have been erected for other gods. So God's people were offering sacrifices on altars built for other gods. Look at verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statues of his father, David, except, everybody say except, David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now, once again, this is not prescribed, this is described by the Bible, okay? It says he follows the instructions from his father, David, except for this one area. So he's at a place called Gibeon, where altars have been built for other gods. And he, like the people, are offering sacrifices on those altars. Watch this. It's the right thing, but the wrong way. But even after that, hear this, God came to him because purpose doesn't require perfection. God didn't give up on him just because he was imperfect. Because everybody listening to me today has an accept somewhere in your life. I do. It says Solomon follows follow the ways of God, except. And we don't have to get into what your accept is because your accept is not different. It's, you know, it's nobody else's accept. It's nobody else's business. But everybody has one. Everybody has an area or areas that are inconsistent with God's intentions. But in spite of that, God comes to an imperfect man, watch this, who is offering sacrifices in an incorrect place, and he asked him, what do you want? Hmm. He says, you're not perfect, but what do you want? Yeah, you shouldn't have married him or her, but what do you want? See, God's not defining, watch this, your subtotal of worthiness based on your accepts. Because you see in church, not in the world, in church, all the people look at is your accept. God said to Solomon, what do you want me to give you? What do you want that can only come from heaven because you've got everything else you could ever ask for, son? You've got all the money, you've got all the riches, you've got, you know, you got everything. This is what I want you to see. This is not an irresponsible offer. That God's offering this to Solomon. This comes in verse 5. But Solomon did something in verse 4. I want you to look at 1 Kings 3, 4. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. For that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Solomon offered a thousand. Give me some water, babe. Solomon offered a thousand offerings. Now, watch this. Thank you. It's the wrong place, but he offered a thousand sacrifices. What's this? His level of generosity demonstrated a degree of trust. You hear that? His generosity demonstrated a level of degree of trust. And God says, because you trust me, I'll trust you. And God said, I'm asking you, what do you want? Not because you're perfect, 
Watch, but because I trust you. There are some people more moral than Solomon. But God says they're less trustworthy than you are. There are people that have dotted their I's and crossed their T's in a way that you haven't. There are people that have not had the missteps that you have had, but yet I can't trust them. I can't trust them with power. I can't trust them with purpose. I can't trust them with how they're going to handle my people properly. God says, Solomon, I may worry about how you're going to handle yourself a little bit, but I don't have to worry about how you're going to handle my people. That's why I'm picking you. Saul didn't have Solomon's issues privately, but he had other issues publicly that disqualified him from managing God's people. So God says, Solomon, I'm asking you, what do you want? So if God would ask you today, what do you want? Would you start talking about your worth or your wants? Well, you know, I'm not going to ask for anything big because I, I know I don't deserve it. I know other people deserve more than me, but they're better than me and they're smarter than me. and They don't bring what I bring in the form of all this baggage that I have, you know. But remember the story where the woman had a baby and another woman claimed rights to that baby and the king decided, I'm going to just choose to murder the baby and the woman with the real mother would step up and say, don't kill the baby. Remember that? And that's how the king would know which moment was really the true mom of that baby. So, what happens to that child if God doesn't answer that prayer? Solomon reveals one of the first things we have to kill because if we don't, if we don't kill it, it's going to kill our dreams. And we're still, I'm still talking about indecisiveness. But when you listen to Solomon's answers, he does more than just kill indecisiveness. He also kills entitlement. Write that word down, entitlement. You've got to kill entitlement in your life. You want to see your dreams come about? Kill entitlement, because entitlement will kill your dreams. Verse 3, 3 again, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Solomon walked in the statues of David and the character of David. Okay, Solomon, here's a question for you. What was your mother's name? Bathsheba. But yet David had a heart for the Lord. Come on, some of you ain't getting that right now. He messed up. She messed up. See, this statement suggests an attitude of gratitude because Solomon has to realize his father probably shouldn't have been on the throne. But God showed kindness to him because even though David made some mistakes, he was faithful to God. God saw his heart. See, some of you missed that. You're looking at what you're doing out here. And I know some of you messed up, myself included. But here's the thing. How's your heart? How's your heart? Turn from that sin, walk away, don't go back to it, and God judges your heart. Amen? Amen. See, faithfulness is not revealed in perfection. Faithfulness was revealed in David's willingness to submit to correction. God doesn't trust you because you get it right all the time. 
Hear that, church. He doesn't trust you because you're right all the time and you get it right all the time. God trusts you because when you see that you're wrong, you make it right. When Nathan went to David, David got it right. And I believe I'm talking to some people that are willing to admit, I probably don't get it right all the time, but God, you can still trust me. Because when you show me where I'm wrong, I'm willing to make it right. He said, I'm not entitled to this because my daddy probably shouldn't have been king. And the fact that who my mama is, how do I get to sit on the throne? Hmm. Because I'm not my daddy's only son. A spirit of entitlement is a dream killer because it makes you feel like you deserve it and others don't. Whatever dream God has given you, whatever ability God has given you, he just picked you. It's called kindness. Thank God for kindness. Verse 7 tells us the third thing he killed. That's arrogance. Arrogance. Now, O Lord, verse 7, 1 Kings 3, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Remember that. I'm fixing to blow your mind here in a second. I'll just do it now. Ready to have your mind? Let's go, let me go back. Let's go back and read that one more time. You have made my you made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I don't know how to come in or go out. Look at. Wait a minute, bro. You're married. He's married. And the text says. You're grown enough to know what you want. You went all the way over to Egypt to get what you want. So Solomon's grown man, but he tells God, I'm a little child. I don't know how to come in. I don't know how to go out. I'm a little kid. See, he's not unaware of his inexperience. Now remember, all he knows what? Is the palace. All the brother knows is getting served all the time. Grew up in the palace. Doesn't know what it's like to fix his own food. Doesn't understand what it means to clean your room. Grew up in the palace, yet recognized that no matter how much time he had in the palace, didn't mean he knew how to rule from the throne. Listen to this. Write this down. Some people cannot carry out God's dream for their life because they think they're experienced in the palace. Meaning you have competence on the throne. I don't care how long you've been in the palace. There's nothing like sitting on the throne. Nothing. Doesn't matter how much experience you feel like you have in the palace. Once you get on the throne, don't make the assumption that you don't need assistance. Some people can't carry out their dream because of their arrogance. It makes them feel like their experience in the palace gives them experience on the throne. Don't make that mistake. Indecisiveness, entitlement, arrogance. And here's the last dream killer for you. I'll be out of your way today. You're going to have to spell this. It's called avarice. A-V-A-R-I-C-E. Avarice. Don't panic. I'm going to explain to you what that is, okay? 
but write it down, A-V-A-R-I-C-E. 1 Kings 3.13, and I have also given you what you have not asked. Wait a minute, what? What, 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 what? what? I've also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that you shall not be anyone like you among you, among the kings all your days, right? So here's what avarice is. It's an insatiable greed. It's a miserable desire to gain and hoard possessions and power for purpose. I'll say it again because I know some of you are writing that down. It's an insatiable greed. It's a miserable desire to gain, to gain and hoard possessions and power for purpose. Okay? If you're still taking notes, write this down. Some people can't accomplish their dreams because they want yours. They can't accomplish their own dreams because they're too busy wanting somebody else's dream. I want to do like he does. I want to do like she does. And when you do that, you're, 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 you're missing out on your dream. You can't accomplish the dream you have because either consciously or subconsciously, you want somebody else's dream. Looking at someone else's calling, desiring what they've been destined for. Let me give you something here in the form of the power of words, okay? Words shift minds. You've got to say that slowly. <laughs> words shift minds. In other words, your words goes wherever your mind is. You getting that? You go to the next level head first. This is why Paul said you have to be transformed through the renewing of your mind. Write this down. Love the calling you have, not the one you wish you had. Love the calling you have, not the one you wish you had. God picked you for this life. And if you will accept your assignment, it will be more than enough, I promise you. You see, Solomon asked for wisdom because he wanted what he wanted. Other people may have wanted honor and wealth, but Solomon grew up with that. He knew that wasn't enough for what God was calling him to do. Other people may need that for what they're called to do. But God, I can't do this if you don't give me what I need. If you will just simply accept your assignment, it will be more than enough, I promise you. And where, where, God, you know, where God calls, God provides. Love the calling you have, not the one you wish you had. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. God gave you what he gave you. More than enough. God called you to this thing. And here's the thing. God called you to this. And I don't know what this is for you. But this is more than enough for you. Well, what, Craig, what's my this? Whatever it is you're currently doing. That's your this. Managing a plant, teaching school, counseling, cutting hair, building houses, self-employed, working for an employer. Give them the best version of you and walk in your this. And your this will change as you honor those above you. It's kind of like the woman that broke the, the bottle, expensive bottle of perfume over Jesus. And Jesus said, leave her alone. What she's done is great. Every time I mention her name, she'll be mentioned in the Hall of Faith. What's she do? 
She did what she did what she could with what she had where she was. And because she did what she could with what she had where she was, God didn't leave her where she was. Same way with you. Do with what do what you can with what you have where you are. And God won't leave you where you are. God will promote you. When you embrace the calling God has for you, that's when God will give you the things you didn't even ask for. Have you ever experienced that? Get a blessing? I didn't even ask for that. That's fun. That gets gooder and gooder. See, here's the thing. God wants you to love the calling you have. Not the one you wish you had. Desiring someone else's dream is a dream killer. It just simply, it'll destroy you. Be satisfied with where God has called you right now. Give 100% where you are in your life right now. Well, I'm just this, I'm just that. No, you're not. You're an anointed this, and you're an anointed that. You're not a just. You're an anointed coffee pourer, barista, whatever they're called. You're an anointed teacher. You're anointed car detailer. Uh, you're anointed hairstylist. Whatever it is you do, you're not just that. You're anointed to do that. And when you learn to walk in your this and what you're doing now, God will say, hmm, come over here, boys, and open up this window right here of heaven, and I'm just going to shove some stuff out on these people right here. Because they're being faithful over the little. And they're not letting these dream killers get to them. So we're just going to promote them today. How many receive that? I want to walk in all that God has for me. Nothing more, nothing less. Just everything God has for me. Amen. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, I just ask you today that you minister this word to every single person's mind. That, Father, you awaken within us in our spirit the thing you called us to do. Lord, I don't want someone else's calling. I want to call, I want to, be, I want to do what you called me to do. And Father God, I thank you that as I press in, as I pour myself into what you've called me to do, that Father, you're going to promote. And you're going to promote these people, Lord God. They're going to see things this year they never thought they'd see. There are going to be blessings come their way, I believe, because Lord, they've been faithful over to do what you call them to do where they're at. There are going to be blessings, I believe, Lord, come their way. They're going to say, where'd that even come from? So Father, I thank you. I thank you that we're not going to allow indecisiveness, arrogance, entitlement to be our dream killers any longer. We're going to walk in everything you have for us. And we're going to be a testimony to those around us. And in Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. if you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. He's worthy. He's worthy.